Thank you for coming Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I'm so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show. Thank you for coming out, or TIFCO as we call it. And it is now one of the longest running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And this particular podcast episode is different because we are still recording during the COVID-19 pandemic while physically distancing. So that means we're not in the same room and we are using Zoom. Our audio quality might be a little bit different than what you're used to, but we are all just doing the best we can with what we have. And uh, today's guest is me. Uh, it, you know, me and Bobby were talking about uh, who we should have on. And Bobby's like, have you ever actually like told your story beginning to end? And I said, no. And so we decided, you know what, YOLO, why don't you be the guest? And so the roles are reversing and we now have Bobby here. Who's going to be the new dubs, Bobby. Wow. What incredible shoes to fill. They are chucks. They're very stylish shoes, <laughs> but they are uh, big shoes to fill nonetheless. Thank you. I am very excited to kick off Pride Month uh, by getting to hear the coming out story of the absolute like master of coming out, the 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 <laughs> <laughs> founder of Thank You for Coming Out, the live show, the podcast. It's such a big part of who you are. It is such like a big part of the work you do. And I am truly so excited to hear and create space for you, someone who has done so much work. And I have gotten to be witness as the producer of this podcast to you creating and holding space for so many people. And so it really is such an honor to hold this space for you. And I'm really excited. Thanks, Bobby. Uh, it's such a thrill to be able to be in this conversation with you. Well, I think you know how this goes. We <laughs> all have multiple coming out stories. So it would be amazing if you would share one of yours with us. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. So I really was thinking hard about this, of which story I wanted to tell. And um, I'm going to tell my coming out as genderqueer story. Uh, I've been getting a lot of questions about this story lately. And so I've been reading through old blog posts and... and um, just posts in general. And so just wanting to like process it, I guess. So um, it was summer of 20. So I, well, first of all, I came out as a lesbian when I was 20 years old in sophomore year of college. And for that, that was like really hard for me because um, I just, there weren't a lot of out people in the early 2000s. And the, the out people that were around had faced really hard struggles just because there was no representation. We weren't talking about it. This wasn't an active conversation that, that, that communities were having. Um, and so my fear, I, I kept that so close to my, to my chest, right. And, and, and didn't want to talk about it and kept it hidden for so long. And so when I came out at 20, 
um, it was like kind of like a hesitation, like really slow, really scared um, how each person would react. Um, and it just was, it was like an over and over, it felt like torture over and over. So nine years later, um, when um, I was living in New York City at that point, and, and truly, I didn't even really know that I was struggling with my gender identity. I thought all of it was tied up and related to my sexual orientation. Really just had no idea, truly. And uh, like with like hindsight, yes, but in the moment, no. And so I was uh, going to a lipstick lesbian awareness party in the Lower East Side with my best friend, Dolce. Um, and... So at that point, I still was identifying as a woman and as a lesbian and was going to support um, all of the amazing, wonderful femme lesbians that get erased from most narratives. Um, So I'm in this space and I'm like feeling really detached and really not just like I'm not a femme lesbian, but I'm not a lesbian. And what does that mean? And it kind of it truly was like an aha glass shattering moment. I I don't, there have been few other moments in my life where I've maybe none that were to this magnitude of holy shit. It makes sense. Everything makes sense. I'm not a woman. It just, it just made sense. And I had known about trans men. Like I'd, I had had some friends who were trans men and had read some things I'd seen the movie boys don't cry. Right. Like I knew trans men existed and, and saw myself in that narrative, but I never thought of myself as a trans man. And so not having that kind of like roadmap or language to understand, I just felt really lost. And so when I'm in this space, I'm in this bar in the Lower East Side, I had a messenger bag across my chest and I just turned to Dolce and I was like, I'm not a woman. Like I, I like don't, connect with my the name I was given at birth like I hate my chest like I don't know that I've ever said that out loud to anybody before but it just was like I had hated it my whole life with like just I have stories about my mom having to like I never bought my own bra ever my whole life until I had never my mom bought me my bras until I had no more boobs and um but I like verbalized it to her and she's like, well, what does that mean? I was like, I don't, I don't know what this means, but like, I just felt free in telling her and like in that, in that moment. And so I had been asked a few times, did I learn about gender, queer, non-binary identities and then have this realization? And I couldn't remember for a really long time. And then I just read back on some things and it turns out, I didn't know what non-binary and gender queer was in this moment. I just discovered it for myself (laughs) and I was like this is me and it just felt like my world started like the 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 timer reset and I was like okay now my life makes sense now I get it it just I get it it makes sense and so I in the very opposite way of that I like was very slow to tell people that I was gay here I was like making appointments with people. I was like, I got to tell you stuff and like was shouting it from the rooftops and, you know, made multiple Facebook posts and was just so excited to finally have figured this out. And like, I knew, I knew in that moment I had to have top surgery. I just knew it. And 
knew maybe one other person who'd had it and and he is a trans man on hormones and I didn't know anyone who um had had it that that wasn't on hormones it just was like everything felt so big and so brand new and I felt so like incredible for figuring this out and like finally seeing myself and I was like but how do I do this what what who do I ask questions and like where do I get information and anything that I found on the internet, it was still not like it is today. And this was, you know, this was still only 2014. It's not that long ago, but it was long enough ago where there wasn't a lot out there. I just was looking through my bookshelf and I have books. um, One's called Becoming a Visible Man. One's called Just Add Hormones. And I bought these books like in that moment. And never read them because I was like, that's still too scary to like, but I had them. And so I don't know. It just was like, it just was so liberating to finally figure out where I fit in and like where I belonged in the world. And it just was a spectacular, spectacular feeling. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, I've heard like bits and pieces, I feel like of that story, like told that I'm sure our listeners would also be like, oh, I've heard parts of it, but I've never like heard it all, I think together start to finish like that. And it just, it fills in, uh, it, it makes so much sense and connects in so many ways. Uh, and I guess I wanted to get back, cause you mentioned you were doing a lot of like blogging or journaling at the mm-hmm. time. Was that like a big outlet for you? And I asked, I think like there's folks our age that have were particularly uh expressive or revelatory <laughs> for and ways of working through things in like these very early days of the internet so was that something that you were um turning to a lot in this time yeah i wouldn't say a lot but i was definitely i turned to writing but what's interesting is that i never kept a diary growing up i never turned to writing as a way of an as a way to process or to to like as an outlet, because I was deathly afraid of someone finding my journal and seeing what I was writing about feeling the way I was feeling about being a queer person. And so I never wrote. And so, um, but I loved writing. So I think I did turn to it. I didn't do it regularly, but I wrote enough where I maybe have like a dozen, but it just felt so good to get it out there and to it's just writing is such a great way to process. And it's also such a great way to connect with people. Yeah. Were you able through that writing or were you sharing that in any kind of public way or like on the internet in a way where you were like able to find any community or make any connections? I did share it on the internet. Um, I'm trying to think if I made connections. I don't think that I did. If I did, I don't remember. And what's interesting too, is that I didn't seek out blogs and I didn't seek out information in that way. Like I bought those books. I did some Googling, but I wasn't like part of any kind of like Reddit or whatever the other like forums are. I don't even know what they're called. And I don't know what that, I don't know why. I think sometimes for me, I like to figure things out on my own. And this, I think is, this is also part of that. I guess. Yeah. Just interesting to say out loud. <laughs> well, it's also sort of like what you're alluding to about like having this real realization without even maybe having all of the language completely to describe it or like having the, but being able to have this like intrinsic 
uh, piece of knowledge that like you know it even if you didn't know what to call it or like what it it, it is Uh, and I think a lot of queer people could relate to that like I feel like even it's just like a queer cis man like I I, on like a different scale can still like understand being young enough to not know what anything is but knowing this sort of like truth regardless if you can describe it or not yeah uh, which is such like an interesting um, place to be is like you you're having this moment and you're writing about it and you're almost sort of like crafting this language uh, in real time Mm -hmm. Uh, so in that moment so this all kind of like filled in at this one spot, like in this bar in real time. Mm-hmm. And so were there tears? Did you think you had to like run for the door? I mean, like what was, uh, what was the, uh, on the inside, all those thoughts were happening. What was happening on the outside? I was so excited. <laughs> I was just like beyond thrilled to have finally figured out. Cause it just like, I thought coming out as gay that like the discomfort and the dysphoria, which I didn't know that word was what was happening. um, And all of the disconnection that I was feeling was, I really truly thought it was all because of being in the closet and being queer and being gay, you know, and having attraction to who I perceived to be same gender partners because I was identifying as woman um, or girl. And um So once I like had the information, I was like, and so, okay. So when, so when I came out, nothing like it helped a lot, but it didn't help nearly as much as I thought it would. And so then when I was in this moment and I like figured it out, it just was like a, such a relief and such, I don't think I cried. I also was probably pretty drunk, but like, I, I like, I just felt relief and just felt clarity and felt that I finally found my place in the world and in myself. And it just felt incredible, which is why I was like, mom, dad, Scotty, Stephanie, like my whole family, like, guess what? And, you know, not, not having any answers when they had questions and not having any kind of information to give them, but it didn't matter. I was like, I just have to tell you this. So it was just like a lot of excitement. How quickly was that? Like, did you like, uh, was it the next day or were you, how long did you think, did you, from that moment, like, what was the real timeline like for you? I think it was probably the next day or like within a week, you know, like it was a really close, it was really close. That's incredible. And like, I just love the the contrast too about like uh, coming out as a lesbian earlier and having this sort of slow uh process that like didn't feel right and this process was so different and naturally that e- you were so driven and motivated and it was so joyous and and you couldn't wait to do it as opposed to kind of dreading it and not enjoying it yeah i think cuz i'd had i'd had a lot of practice of i'd gone through the really hard version so i was like i don't want to do that again i want the easy i want the not well, i don't know if it's the easier but like the more joyful version and yeah, it's something you said sparked this other thought that I just had, which was, um, and I don't even know if it's super related, maybe it is, of when I came out as a lesbian, I was like, well, now I have to like, I have to own the word lesbian and I have to own butch because I always felt that I had ma- like a masculine energy and presence. And I was like, well, butch lesbians are that. And I always felt such a disconnect disconnect to those words too and I thought that I was like a self-hating lesbian and I was like 
I hated that about, I was like, I want to have pride in who I am and tried so hard to feel pride as a butch lesbian and could never figure it out. I couldn't do it. And, and then in that moment too, it, it, it made sense. I just was like, oh, cause I'm neither of those things. <laughs> That's why I couldn't connect to it. So as you transitioned into this new coming out, yeah. uh, when it came into this very, uh, with joy and momentum, uh, was it, uh, how long was it able to go on just so, uh, with the joy or when, um, what was, did you have any times that were sort of like a struggle or like early press that surprised you that like looking backwards now, you're like, if I knew then what I know now, it would have been mm. a little different. Um, I mean, I knew that finding a top surgery doctor would be hard. Um, and it was, and finding, you know, having it covered by, by insurance was a real challenge. And that took a lot of joy out of, um, of, out of this moment that was meant to be really affirming and exciting and exhilarating, um, you know, calling multiple surgeons and being told if you don't have breast cancer, we're not even going to see you for a double mastectomy and um, seeing another doctor who was supposed to be, it was at Columbia and, uh, and um, they were supposed to have like a very trans affirming setup. And the doctor was super not trans affirming. And, and, and I also want to note that I wasn't at this point using the word trans to decide to talk about myself. Um, but that's kind of how we talk about it now, just like in general, the, the practice, but um, so it sucked. It sucked being in those spaces. And I also, you know, I was new to this. And so I didn't, I still didn't have the language or the, um, the practice of talking about who I am. I still was also trying to figure it out and, uh, and my community and my friends and my family all with the best of intentions, had a lot of questions and especially around surgery. Um, and, you know, bless their hearts, you know, people saying, what pronouns do you want to use? And at that point, I still wasn't ready to change my pronouns and that was uncomfortable. And, um, you know, someone, I remember someone said to me when I was at the Magnet Theater, like, congratulations on your transition. And I got really upset and I was like, I'm not transitioning. And just like, I just wasn't connecting to these words. I just was actually, I recently apologized to him for snapping at him, but like, so there was just those moments of navigating this newness that were really tough and I, not anything, I guess I don't want to say that it surprised me because I don't know that I knew what to expect, but it did make it hard. It made it really challenging to, cause I, you know, it's, it's not the best feeling to not be able to answer questions about yourself, but also, you know, looking back, you know, people were just trying to support me and be there for me. And like, and again, like this was in 2014 where we weren't having these conversations and didn't have the tools and the understanding quite like we do now. Totally. I mean, like it, it, it's, everything feels like it's developing in real time sometimes, yeah. even yeah. though it's things that are, uh, are part of human culture and, and, and everything for 
ever. <laughs> yeah. I think we're constantly like finding uh, new ways. I think that's what's really, I was so interested about what you were going to share today. Cause I think what's interesting knowing you and having our conversations is that there's so, there's so many of these coming out. So I know we say like everyone has multiple coming outs, but I really think in the, I really admire in like the trans experience, like there are, it's, it's, you know, we talk about not things being not so binary and not so, and it's like, yeah, cause there's a, there's an infinite way for this to unfold or to be expressed or to be lived. Uh, and so, yeah, there's like a hundred micro questions. It's not as simple as like this or that, or uh, ha- constantly having to like uh, refine and to specify um, and get like that really to get to the most like real, honest, descriptive truth, uh, which sounds so, which is so exciting, but also must be so exhausting <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. and and difficult. Uh, so something you said there to uh, maybe think of something I wanted to ask you about, because you talked a little bit about apologizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think folks who have listened to the podcast will also uh, may recall some other times you've talked about like making amends for things and like a yeah. lot of different contexts about and, and and maybe right away maybe years later and something I really admire about you and I really you know again folks who listen to this podcast know that you are such as someone who is um so intentional about how to be there for people in a way that affirms them and in a way that they would like to have you there for them uh and so to be able to still reflect and take ownership and accountability, I think is really important and impressive at a time. I think when a lot of folks get scared and their reaction is like shame and is to um, like hide from that, from an error or hide from, from that kind of accountability and not because they don't care, but because they don't know how. Uh, And I would love to sort of like hear from you what that's like. Cause I think if you hear the podcast, it, I feel like sometimes it's, you sound like a superhero and I absolutely <laughs> believe nice. that you are, but I also feel like I get to, I get a different perspective and get to talk to you and see the parts that where it is scary. And, the, and sometimes everybody has self-doubt. And I would like, love to hear from you like a little, if you, if you want to share something specific about um, a time like that, or just sort of like overall how you like to approach those sort of moments where you can uh, make amends or, look backwards and, 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 uh, have those conversations, those difficult conversations. First of all, that was very nice. Thank you for what you just said. (laughs) Um, so I think, so what, what you're kind of alluding to, um, if you haven't listened previously, are there have been, uh, so when I was in high school, um, I was a very miserable, sad person because I was so in the closet and just fucking miserable. And so I took that out and bullied people in my high school and, uh, and I'm sure younger too. And as I've been growing up and learning how, how impactful bullying is and how terrible and awful and can lead to deadly outcomes. um, I just want to make it right. I just want to, I just want so I've, I've reached out to everyone and I've said, I was a real asshole and I'm really sorry. I was struggling and that's not an excuse, but that's where I was at the time. And I just want you to know how sorry I am. And, um, it's, it's been received well every time. Uh, one person was like, yeah, you were a real asshole. I'm like, I know. <laughs> um, cause I think, I think that 
for me, one of my most important core values is um, to like, just always try to be the best version of yourself, of yourself, like for me to be the best version of myself and to grow and to learn. And when we grow and when we learn, what comes with that is learning that things that we've done in the past were harmful. (laughs) And not that I needed to grow and learn to know that being a shithead to kids was wrong, but I learned like how important it is to own up to mistakes that we've made and um, just to, to try to do right by people. And um, I I don't know why I'm struggling so much with trying to articulate this. I I just, um, I really believe and really want to believe that people are just doing the best they can. And then when people are shitty to those people, me included, it's like not fair. Cause it's like, I want that same grace back. Like I'm also trying to do the best that I can. And when people are shitty, it sucks. <laughs> it really sucks. <laughs> and I don't want to be someone who causes another person pain. And I think that, I think that's kind of what it, all of what I just said is that I just don't want to be someone to cause someone pain. And if I know that I've caused someone pain or maybe discomfort in a, in for a particular, like this person who was like, congratulations on your transition was like, so ecstatic for me, so excited for me. And I just was so uncomfortable with that, that I snapped at him and it just wasn't fair. And I think, I think a lot of it also has to do with now living in an identity that so many people don't understand and really wanting people to try really just, you have to try, right? Like to get the words right, to get my pronouns right. And to not just get the words and pronouns right, but to actually see me for who I am, which is a gender queer person, not just a woman who like does X, Y, and Z or a man who does that. You know, it's like, I'm neither of those things. I want to be seen for who I am. And so when people make mistakes, I want to give them the grace that they're human and they're trying, but I need to know that they're trying. And so when people acknowledge it, I'm really appreciative of that. So I think it's it's just like this whole web of experiences and want to even throw in the word trauma here of like, not, not lightly, like it, there's a lot of experiences that I've had that kind of play into the way that I move through the world now. Does that answer your question? <laughs> a, a million percent. Okay. Yeah. And it's just so interesting because I feel like you see so many, you know, it's, you also see so many times like folks responding to that trauma or to receiving that hurt. You hear that old adage of like hurt people, hurt people. And yeah. like, oh, I'm getting a little emotional because like I think like what you're saying is like actually like hurt people can heal people. And that's like a really empowering thing that I don't think you hear often that like from that hurt, we don't have to be and, you know, we don't have to respond with more hurt. Like you actually can use that to teach yourself and push yourself to heal uh, and heal others. And that's so powerful. Yeah, I think that's like in the work that I do and in the interactions that I have, I am faced with a lot of really painful moments and a lot of hurt. Uh, People who are disrespectful and, you know, whatever, whatever, Um, not to 
not to make light of it, but it's just, it's so much, but you know, there are, I'm human. So there are some moments where I'm just like, go fuck yourself. Like in my head, um, would never say that to a person in real life. I don't think, um, actually, you know what, maybe, but <laughs> if I'm thinking professional setting wise, um, but I really, really, really want to try to use those experiences as a teaching moment. And as I want, I want people to see the, like the hurt I want, I'm tr- I guess I'm trying to find ways to connect like we have all been hurt in some way and how can we use that to not hurt, keep hurting each other. And um, there's a, I was reading Brene's, Brene Brown's book. Um, I'm looking over at my bookshelf. I forget which book it was. Um, I can't remember which one, but she talks about how, and I kind of mentioned this earlier too, of like, how would you move through the world if you truly just assumed that everyone was just doing the absolute best that they could? Like, how would you talk to them? How would you treat them? And it's like so differently, so differently. It's like this person isn't actually trying to be an asshole. They really are just doing the best they can, but they're juggling a zillion things. Yeah. So have you always been like a teacher activist? Like, has that always been part? Like, I actually don't know this about you. Like mm. if the, you were studying something before, like didn't weren't always going into this kind of work. Um, I guess kind of, yeah. I, my mom reminded me of this uh, because of the the documentary that I'm being followed for. Um, Ari, the director, asked her a bunch of questions and she reminded me of um, multiple times in elementary school where I would stand up for kids who were, um, I don't know, I guess I don't know the right way to say this, like developmentally different. Um and people would be really mean to them and I would stick up for them and just like try to be an ally to them. And I, I completely forgot until she reminded me. And then I was like, oh yeah, I did do that. Um, or I would, I remember me and a friend boycotted recess for, I, I don't remember why, but I remember very specifically like not going outside because we thought something that was happening wasn't right. And so I think there's always been that part of me that wants to write wrongs and I think that it and I think part of my Jewish identity has also kind of given me that like tikkun olam repair the world and tzedek and justice and like learning those things at a young age I was like I do have the power to change things Um, and I think also too a part of it was knowing that I was part of the LGBTQ community without knowing that I was part of the LGBTQ community just knew inherently that they were injustices and knew that like I wanted to like fix things because I didn't want to feel hurt all the time. Um, I always wanted to be a teacher. I used to, my first grade teacher was Mr. Acton and he was like this like very tall, like skinny runner man and always wore a tie and penny loafers. And so I, my mom bought me penny loafers and I had a clip on tie and I used to be Mr. Acton <laughs> and I like and what's funny is I became best friends with his twin sons which so I got to see Mr. Acton all the time and it was a dream um and so I always wanted to be a teacher and I went to school at Ohio State I um long story short I was studying to be a teacher and then um took a different route after college but um it's always been in my in my blood to to educate people and to right wrongs. That makes so much sense. Um, 
were you always like a performer as well? Like, were you always, was that always part of uh, your way of expressing? <laughs> um, yes and no. Um, I also was reminded that I was the ugly duckling in my second grade production of The Ugly Duckling. Um, starring the, role, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> yes, it was a starring role. But to, <laughs> a seven, <laughs> to a seven-year-old to be cast as the ugly duckling was not fun. But my mom and the teacher was like, they both said, it's because we know that you are beautiful and you're confident, so you can take this role. And I was like, whatever. Um, and so I think that there were, I did love the moments that I could um, perform. I remember I was one of the witches in Macbeth in sixth grade. We did Shakespeare and I loved that. I, I never auditioned for anything. That's not true. Never. I didn't, not never. I rarely audition for things because I get feeling rejected (laughs) is like, obviously it's like, doesn't feel good, but it really, for me in particular, like was like the end of the world. And to like not get picked for something, I would rather not even try Um, in middle school. um, So I did all the things that like you didn't have to try out for, like choir and that (laughs) stuff, which was great, which is another way of performing, actually. So now that I'm saying that, but like I tried out for basketball my seventh grade year and got cut. And that was devastating. Devastating. And then for whatever reason, I tried out again in eighth grade and I got cut again. And that was fucking devastating I also tried out for softball seventh grade and got cut (laughs) and I always thought of myself as like a pretty good athlete and then I got a real slap in the face um (laughs) that no no I'm not an athlete so I'm an athletic supporter (laughs) from Greece um so anyways but yeah so then I you know um like longingly stared at the musicals in high school like I wanted so badly to be part of that and I just never put myself out there because I didn't want to get cut. And so um, I started doing improv in Columbus and it was like, felt so low stakes. It was like in a, in this, like the suburb that wasn't mine, like a 20 minute drive in their like rec center. And I was like, this is the lowest stakes I could ever do. And I walk in, and I like walk into this classroom and my, one of my teachers from high school was in the class. And so then we ended up being classmates and that was so wild. And so once I got a taste of improv, I was like, and it was terrifying because I really wasn't a performer, even though I wanted to be one. And I, once I did it, I was like, oh, I'm never not doing this again. <laughs> it's for me, like knowing you and knowing your life, it feels like all of these pieces, like came together in this absolutely perfect magical way <laughs> like it felt like you know the, the teaching and the performing and all of like uh all of your like jewish identity uh like pride and interest and everything in the queer community and and trans and non-binary communities and it seems like it's like wow what a perfect place you have found yourself in at the intersection of all these things you absolutely love it seems like all these things have like naturally come together with like your teaching performance you know your art and all in, did that click in very clearly at one moment or was it very obvious that it was like, this is what I want my life to be. This has to be the central tenet or did it kind of like just find itself coming together? Uh, and in either case, like were there moments that were hard integrating those things into like one um, major identity, whereas like lots of folks live lives that are compartmentalized and there's not so much of that things so well integrated. That's such a good question that I don't, I don't know how the answer to it. Well, yes, I do. It's so big. <laughs> um, so 
a few a few a few things. The first one is um because of because of of how I grew up, meaning like feeling so isolated from myself in the world and um not really seeing a future for myself and not really caring about um essentially whether I lived or died. Like I didn't have, I was never actively <clears throat> like trying to take my life, but I also like didn't care if my life was taken. Um I was just thinking about this the other day of how I never had a bed frame. Cause I was like it felt so permanent and it just felt like I don't, like why do I need a bed frame? And then after top surgery, the first thing I bought was a bed frame. I was like, I can live now. <laughs> I can have a bed frame. When I was when I was getting top surgery, um, I was working at like a tech startup, and I just kind of had this. And so, and and thank you for coming out. Was a year old, and I just was in this place where I wanted my I wanted my life to matter because I like cared that I cared about it. I cared about my life finally. And so I wanted it to matter. And I didn't want to, you know, I, I really take to heart things that I read and like stories that I hear and really, really, really want to learn from other people's experiences. And so many stories I've read of just like people like floating through life, like not pursuing their dreams or not, um, you know, like, you know, like just like doing a job because it's a job. And I just was like, I finally like have a life that I care about and I don't want to like blow it, you know, like I want to, I want to care about all the things that I'm doing. And so truly like I had top surgery the summer of 2016 and was like, you know, really thank you for coming out was in full force at that point. And that was the year I quit that job and started working at Keshet and was like, I have to, like, I just, made a declaration for myself of like, I have to do this. And so I did. And I I feel like that's kind of my MO for everything. It's like, once I put my mind to something, I'm like, I'm doing it. And then I do it. (laughs) Um, So once I started working at Keshet and I like really got into facilitating and teaching about things that really matter to me, it kind of was like, if it, you know, it also was like pretty organic too. Like a lot of it was me pursuing things but then like I met my friend Jeff because he did thank you for coming out and then we created Crafter Truth together and that was just like another passion project that came to be a real thing that still exists today and so I just keep putting my energy and my time into things that I care about and that matter to me and so it all just kind of it's like all green lights it just feels like I'm doing the right stuff I I mean, that's incredible. And it, it makes so much sense too. Cause like it does like from the outside looking, it's like, wow, all these things make so much sense. You're like, was it magic or did it? <laughs> and it's not, it's like living a life like really full of intent. And it just like, uh, you know, just to hear you say like, we're making your life matter. Like when you're someone who I think uh, lots of people look at who matters quite a great deal, like what you're able to share and accomplish uh you know, I think a lot of folks go into activism or do the work around identity um, and they either teach or they create space for others or they share their story as like a model. And you do all three. 
Um, is there one of those things that speaks to you more or one of those things that you're more or less comfortable with compared to the others? Teaching, sort of putting your story first or um, working with others on their stories? Um, hmm. Never had to think about that before. I, um, I love... I kind of think, I think teaching and sharing my story are the same thing. Like, I think of them as the same thing. When I, when I teach, I always use my own experience as a, an example, which is a powerful way to do it and also an exhausting way to do it. Um, but I, I just err on the side of it's worth it because it just, it just ties back to me not having that roadmap, not having the representation that I needed um, not having a safe person to ask questions. And so putting my story out there and teaching um, are like my favorite, favorite things. Um, and then helping and holding space for other people is also up there. So I, I think they're all, they're all because I love learning from other people. And like I said, I love hearing other people's stories and learning from them. And how can I borrow what you're talking about and like make my life even better of this way of thinking um, and why does it, you know, let's share, let's share the wealth. So I, I don't know. It's hard to pick. Do you have any advice for people, you know, that, that, that help when you are, you said, you know, it's exhausting when you're kind of like using yourself and your story and your trauma as sort of yeah. like the example or the way to, to give uh, folks a framework to understand some of these concepts they may be less familiar with. Uh, this is a way, you know, putting yourself out there. There's, there's a cost. And so yeah. is there something, is there anything that you've learned to help either put that energy back in or protect parts of yourself or able to approach that in a way that is giving um, and generous while also still like nurturing of yourself and protective of yourself? Yeah, I think it's still definitely a work in progress. Um, something that I feel really lucky about is at work, they are very supportive of um, boundaries in that way of like, don't schedule more trainings than you can handle. <laughs> and if, you know, and push a training to the next week, if you have to, I mean, don't schedule it and then push it, but like schedule it for the next week. Um, which is helpful. Cause then I can kind of get my mind. I can prepare for it. I can breathe. I can, um, uh, um, I, I process. I'm, I'm lucky to have colleagues who are queer and trans and Jewish and which is, which are all the identities that I hold. And so when I need help processing or like, am I making a big deal out of this X, Y, and Z thing? Or, you know, sometimes they're like, yeah. And a lot of, but most of the time they're like, no, like what just happened is really shitty. So like having a support system to be able to bounce things off of and to, for them to hold space for me um, and to just let me vent is really helpful. Um, I also write about it. I write about stuff because it also is really helpful for me to process. And then for me, I love external affirmation. And so when people are, um, when people relate or when they're like, thank you for sharing your story. It's like, again, it, it all just ties back to the education piece. Like I'm sharing the story because it helps me to write it, get it out of me. And then the educator in me is like, okay, but how can I use this, make this a teaching moment? And so it's just kind of like a cycle. Yeah. 
Well, now and now you're you know you've been writing and I you know articles all over in Hey Alma. If you might have caught them around, listeners, um, some yeah. really good, interesting stuff. Uh, but you're also working on. You mentioned a little bit earlier the documentary film mm-hmm. um, that you've been filming, and 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 that must be a little bit of a different experience than even what you're used to in terms of story, live storytelling, or the podcast or anything else. So I'd love to hear a little bit like what the experience has been like for you with that, and what parts it, if it if already you're it's helping to show you new things or uh, you're surprised by anything in that process. Yeah. Yeah. So the documentary is called a Jewish life and uh, the director Ari Beezer is following three Jews from all over the world. Um, So our, our uniting thread is that we're Jewish, but we all hold extremely different identities. Um, And I don't know. It it all feels a little bit surreal in this moment because I haven't really seen, I've seen like little clips of things. Um, but it's been interesting to be able to share my story verbally. And um, there was a moment, you know, there are certain moments that, um, I don't know how to say this. They're not, they're not provoked like everything is 100% natural and like they're just following me, but sometimes they ask questions to like know what I'm thinking about in a moment. And then it gets me thinking about things that I wouldn't normally have. For example, um, I was actually, I was getting dressed to go to uh, the taping of the Gay City News Impact Awards. And so they were filming. So, and also with the, the information of this is all during a pandemic. And so there weren't a lot of opportunities for filming that weren't like on zoom. So this was really exciting to be able to go in person for this. And so I was putting my suit on and the, the DP asked me some kind of question about like feeling affirmed in my suit. And like another question about, I, I truly don't remember cause I dissociated like that. Like it really, it just, whatever they asked me, I just was like, it got me in my head. And so there are those moments where it's like, wasn't meant for that, but it's, it is what happened. Um, and Ari was like, well, we can cut that. And I was like, I don't think we should cut that. I think we should show like those, like, I struggle with like the, the idea of um, like e- exploitation of like showing someone's pain and showing um, the really hard things as like like so people are like voyeurs and just like watching but like that's not how I think of it I think of it as I'm actively putting my thing my story out there and I want people to learn from it I want people to see the pain because I don't want other people to have to deal with it so it's almost like I'll do it so no one else has to <laughs> um so anyway not I digress but so it's like that kind of um those kinds of moments and also it was really interesting um so I was like miss I was misgendered a lot in that uh experience which sucked um and got that also got caught on camera and then like when Ari came to Texas and you know when you know he you know every other moment it's like it's not that it's curated but it's like a start and a finish of like you're at this event and then you're not at this event so I can it's not that I'm like on but I'm aware. Um, so it's not like curated. It's just 
easier to be on. And but then when he was in text, uh, not on, but like, how do I say? I don't know. Like, it's not like I was like changing what I was saying, but it was. I guess there was a little bit of a guard up, I guess, because I, I think that's probably just natural. But when he was in Texas, the guard, my guard couldn't be up 24 seven. Right. And he wasn't. And so he caught some really intense moments where it's like, I've seen documentaries or I've seen where I'm like, why would anyone agree to this? And like, he absolutely caught moments where in watching, I'm going to be like, how did I agree to do this? Because <laughs> it was like very intimate arguments with my parents around gender. And like, it just was, so I, I don't even know if I answered your question, but it's just, it's been like a very like wild experience. And, you know, again, I'm doing it in the service of educating and hope that people can learn from it and people can see themselves in me who are struggling Um or who aren't struggling, but it's just nice to see themselves on screen. Um, so that it's all in service of that. It's all in service of wanting to minimize struggle for other people. Cause I was struggled so deeply. And do you have any sense of when it's going to be available? Are you able to say, or is it, I don't even know. Okay. Yeah. I wish I knew. <laughs> yeah, no, but that makes a lot of sense. And it's like, I think someone even as who's used to leads with vulnerability, who leads with authenticity, who is like not someone who does, who plays characters, who is really being, who, whose art is themselves and identity being put under that different kind of microscope. I think still probably even for someone who is so forthcoming and vulnerable um, used to being putting, make, putting themselves in vulnerable positions to be sharing their authentic truth that that's got to be like a different kind of <laughs> feeling uh, to be like under a microscope a little bit yeah and it's, it'll be an interesting you know moment in time when it's released and like strangers from all over the world are going to see it and they're going to have opinions and also you know like we started filming in January of 2020 and I'm sure that the way I talk about things and the way I talk about myself is different than how I would talk about it now. And so that's also, I feel like, a hard um, thing to, to, to sit with, too. It's like, well, I don't know that I, I wouldn't have said that now, but we filmed it a while ago. Yeah, and you're going through all of this and you're like filming this. Uh, and I mentioned before that I wanted to chat about this in our time because I think that it's something... Uh, that there is something kind of queer about, and we're talking about sobriety. Uh, and this has also been, we just celebrated <laughs> yesterday, <laughs> <Yeah>. your <laughs> soberversary, which was such an, it's such a great occasion and such amazing energy of people just really so genuinely happy for you and with you and able to enjoy uh, also feeling like they're enjoying this. Uh, but what a, you know, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of uh, all of the work you're doing, all of the uh, doing this documentary, uh, getting working on your the podcast at the show and everything else that you have going on to uh, also embark on this massive life change um, that is challenge has its own unique challenges uh, yeah. and things with it. And you just uh, being able to have that be a part of it. I think it's just uh, something that I'm finding a lot in the queer community. It's like a particular, it's, it's a different uh, 
there's like unique stuff about it. I just feel like the conversations around sobriety and the experience, there's like certain things with, uh, that are unique in the queer community. Uh, and is that something, you know, I can only imagine, like I said, there's, there were so many, so many multidimensional things over the last year that I imagine it must be very hard to sort of like unpack one from the other. <laughs> like yeah. What's affecting what when? Yeah. Um, but it, you know, if you're comfortable sharing like a little bit about like what that experience has been like or how it might've informed either this documentary or some of the other um, work you were doing in other parts of your life. Yeah. Um, choosing to stop drinking in the middle of a pandemic was a real choice. Um, I want to give some, a little bit of background for folks who maybe don't know the the history. I won't go too into detail, listen to the rest of the episodes, everybody. But um, I started drinking at 14 and I immediately fell in love and um, loved the feeling of um, disappearing and forgetting and um, erasing and um, forgetting and just like I had, like I had mentioned earlier, I had no regard for my life and I just didn't care. And so I just drank to, it was, it was almost like a way to feel control over feeling out of control. Um, so I just like would get wasted and black out. And then the next day I would feel like shit, but I would have an excuse and I would like be so mad at myself and I, but I would have an excuse while I would drink. And it just was a cycle for, um, I don't know what math is, 22 years, right? Like 16 plus, I don't know. I did it last year when I was 35. So whatever that math is, um, 21 years I don't know um and so like I I think I said this earlier of like when I decide to do something I do it and so you know there were there were definitely moments in time when I like I I knew I had a drinking problem I knew I did and I didn't want to deal with it because I was like I'm dealing with too much other shit and I don't want to deal with this too and this is the one thing that I have that makes me quote-unquote feel better and it's like my crutch. And um, I bought a book. I have this habit and a pattern that I'm realizing that I buy books about things that are important to me and then I don't read them. <laughs> so I have bought a book called, um, uh, where is it? Somewhere on my shelf. It's basically like how to quit drinking or something like very obvious. <laughs> and like, I bought it in this, this past winter, never read it. So I was like, I don't, it was like, part of me was like, I don't want to quit drinking. So why would I, but like, I, it was like me, like saying like, you need to deal with this at some point. And so, um, I woke up hungover, it must've been May, May 31st. And I just was like, why am I hungover? Like, I didn't do anything. Like, we're not, we're not going out. We're like, and I was in a virtual Zoom with like people who weren't drinking the night before. And I just, I felt such shame. And I always felt shame waking up and like, who did I text and what did I say? And like, what kind of dumb shit did I do? Um, but I had just gotten to this point where I was tired of it. I just was tired of putting myself through that like perpetual shame spiral. And it's like, I want to show up for myself. I want to like do good things for myself. I deserve that. And why am I, why am I allowing that in all of these other parts of my life of like showing up for myself and caring, but not in this part. Um, 
So I decided to stop drinking and I was like, maybe I'll just stop drinking in June and I'll see how that feels. And I was like, well, that's going to be so hard because it's pride month. And, you know, even though we're not going out and doing things, I'll like want to drink on the roof. I was like, it'll be a real test. Um, and then I did it. And then, and also I was reading again, like a ton of Brene Brown and she's sober and talks about it and the shame spirals and things like that. And I was reading untamed by Glennon Doyle, who is also sober and talks about doing hard things. Like we can do hard things. And for whatever reason, the, we can do hard things like imprinted and stuck in my brain. And it's just what I needed to hear in the moment I needed to hear it. And, um, so I stopped and, and then July came and went and I was like, I'm going to keep doing this and we can do hard things and just constantly telling myself that. And it's so, yeah. So yeah, I celebrated a year yesterday and it's wild. I cannot in a million years, million bajillion years that I ever think that I would ever be able to stop drinking. Cause it was just such an integral part of my life. Um, but I, it's just been such, um, it's been so, it's it been, I don't know, it's been a lot of things. It's been an, an adjustment. There are multiple times have I woken up and like had to like, like check, like, am I hungover? Like, cause I was expecting to be hungover and I'm like, I'm not hungover. Or I was expecting, sometimes I would just this weird feeling of like feeling drunk. Cause like I would normally be drunk at this time, but like I wasn't. And so it's just like a very weird adjustment. And then like now that things are opening up again, it's definitely becoming way more of a challenge because like people are going to bars and I want to be at bars. I want to be out with, you know, that's what I was used to was going to happy hours with friends and drinking all day drinking. And I love that shit. And it's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I think I'm going to keep getting tested and um, hope that I can, um, can keep it up. But it's, it's been... I think for me, alcohol too, you know, just to, I'm this is such a long answer, but like, um, and just like bringing it back to the queer aspect of it too, was like a way to hide. I was, I felt so much shame and embarrassment around my queer identity. And, you know, if I was drunk, then I couldn't be held accountable for anything I was doing, which is a miserable, terrible way to live life. Um, and so, and, you know, like being intimate with people, I was always drunk because I was so scared to, to do anything sober. Um, and so now I'm like, you know, I've, I've had maybe one sober first kiss. This wasn't like, you know, a handful of years ago. And so now I'm like, Ooh, what's it going to feel like to like, get it on with someone sober? <laughs> like, I mean, I, I have, I have been intimate with people sober, like part long-term partners, but um never like flings or new newness, like even with partners, like the new, um, like first dating were always like after drinks and stuff. So it's just big. It's a lot. And I'm still like, obviously <laughs> don't have my like out of the book answer yet. Cause I just like, I don't know. It's still so new. <laughs> totally. Well, you hit on so many things there, like that, you know, I, I think the queer community often, I think uh, a lot of folks maybe over index, in problems with substance for that very reason, because of the shame and the trauma and the coping, I think there's yeah. like, it tends to be prevalent. Not, not every time that's not every, that's not everybody's reasoning, but I, it does sort of over-index. Mm-hmm. Um, and also at the same time, I think queer social life particularly is based around 
bars and parties and there's a lot of uh substances and alcohol baked into the the community activity so uh there are these two things sort of working against people but at the same time you have that queer resolve too which is like you know you said like you 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 put your mind something you're going to do it and like we have a whole hour worth of conversation of examples of it mm-hmm. <laughs> plus hours and hours of many episodes yeah uh that there's that i i was there anything that you found either as a resource you mentioned glennon of course mm-hmm. but was there did you were you able to find either um anything anyone else or pieces of culture or wisdom or community members or resources that were helpful that maybe spoke directly to like the queer experience um i had a really lovely conversation with tani um laura on the podcast um and we talked a lot about sobriety and queerness which was really great and i've had some other friends um like reach out and we've like they've been like back channel sober support which has been really nice um you know i have a lot of people ask me if i do aa or if i'm in a program and i'm not i'm not in in anything like that um i think those programs are incredible for people and that hasn't been what i've needed right now and i'm open to maybe needing it in the future um but i don't know i i think it's one of those things where it's just like i'm going to do it and so i i just did it and 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 i will say that um in the last year, I've become close with a group of friends who aren't big drinkers, which is a real shift away from a lot of my friends who are big drinkers. And so um, that has been that was like has been like really helpful because none of the activities are ever um, like based on drinking or bars or alcohol or anything like that. It's always just like not. And so that was really helpful, too, because it, it gave me a new a new experience, a new roadmap, a new like neural pathways of like, oh, I can have fun and not be drunk. Oh, I can, you know, be in a space with friends and I'm still funny because I thought I was only funny if my inhibitions were down because of alcohol, you know? So it's like, I'm learning very newly how to, how to be a person in this way. And it's interesting. (laughs) For our listeners, you know, uh, many of whom are members of the community, Mm-hmm. What are things we can do to be better supports to other our fellow queer community members uh, who are working on their sobriety? Oh, that's I'm selfishly a... asking for myself, but yeah. also, <laughs> but I, um, I think also other folks would benefit from hearing. Yeah. So I think, well, so I'm, you mentioned the, the two parts that like the queer community, there's like a lot of drinking, like baked into the culture. And I would say similarly too in the improv and performance community as well. And so I was kind of getting it from both sides of like, not that they're like, they're inextricably linked and they're also different. And, but it was like every facet of my life was based in alcohol. (laughs) And um, so um, I don't know, that's such a good question. I don't know. I think I'm still trying to figure that out also. Like, um, you know, we, Jess Ann, our other co-producer, of the show, uh, Jess Ann Smith, like is always so intentional about making sure that if we're at a bar, that there's food and there's not alcohol. Like and this was before I was sober, but like, she's always thinking like 10 steps ahead on that stuff. And, um, it's almost like, 
it's just it it kind of is reminding me of like it's so hard it's so hard for people to have empathy for other groups if they haven't experienced something themselves so it's like everyone working from home suddenly now everyone who who um had accessibility issues before and were told you have to come into the office now everyone's working from home and it's like well why couldn't you believe me when i told you that it was you know what i mean like it's like that where it's like okay now that i'm sober i have this whole different perspective not that i didn't believe people before but it's it hits different. It's like, I'm, I'm here now. And it's like, when people are always talking about, let's go get a drink or like happy hour, it's like, well, can we do it without that? <laughs> so it's like, I guess it's like, so I guess all of that is to say, like, think more expansively about programming or about the ways that you frame activities um, where it's like, it's fine if there's alcohol there, but does it have to be the center of the conversation or of the like going to a bar is fun, but it actually might be triggering for people. So like it actually might be exclusionary. So maybe that's not the best place to have an event. So, um, but I don't know, I guess, I don't know. That's a th- I feel like there are people who would give you a million things right off the bat. I'm just not, I'm not there yet. I don't know. That's okay. Uh, I hate to do this, mm. but I have to move us into our last segment. <laughs> that's such a familiar phrase. That's so heartbreaking. <laughs> I know I could keep doing. I was like, Ooh, how much longer I got to push this? Like I can still keep talking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you know, our last segment is a lightning round. It is. So did you, were you, did you like, and obviously you have a disadvantage or you have an advantage because you know, the questions were you, have you thought about them already? Or were you to come in blind just to, just to, just to feel it to kind of like feel what the guest feels? You know what? I knew the questions and I didn't think about them for any time. <laughs> so- <laughs> I I appreciate that. I'm very excited where this is going to go. So yeah. they are sort of open-ended lightning round questions uh, for listeners of the pod. Uh, they used to be uh, kind of like either or, but of course, in the spirit of dismantling as many binaries as we absolutely can, um, most of those have been cleared out for more open-ended responses, except for one binary, which we absolutely felt compelled to preserve. Uh, you'll know it when you hear it, uh, but it is all, of course, in good fun. Now, Dubs has turned these questions questions on many a guest but now are are they ready for have, have the questions turned back <laughs> onto them let's find out let's find out okay if you had to name your crayon mm. what would it be called i don't know why this came to mind but i it came and so i'm tonka yellow Ooh. <laughs> well i very clearly know exactly what that is i can right? pull it like the pantone like right now <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> what is your favorite time of day um really early in the morning when everything is really quiet and still is it dark still or is it like just it's dark early? still I love that. Okay. Story. That's a good one. That's what I did. I only really recently got acquainted with a lot during the pandemic. <laughs> mm, same. And not being hungover, I can get up early and not be worried. Yeah. It, yeah. it was a very weird type, but okay. Sorry. Lightning <laughs> round, lightning going on. Okay. okay. Uh, what is your favorite current queer media representation? Oh, I really should have thought of these. Um, I'm like looking at my TV, like it's on and it's going to help me. Um <laughs> God. And current could be anything that you've recently so bad. <laughs> you've recently interacted with. Um could be current for you. Thank you. 
I think, um, oh my God, why is this so hard? This is so hard. Um, I guess <laughs> I, I apologize to all my guests. I've put them through this. This is torture. <laughs> well, as we've covered, it's hard to have empathy for things you haven't experienced yourself. It's so and now... true. It's, oh my God, it's <laughs> so are. true. Um, Oh my god. Okay, I'll say pose. I haven't seen any of the new season yet, so I'm just like very excited. And also Schitt's Creek. Oh, um, both, both great. Both. So good. Both great. Uh, a song that makes your heart sore. It's just, it's always going to be Brave by Sarah Bareilles. Just a oh. million percent. Oh. It is a great song. I wasn't a big fan. Uh, I wasn't like not a fan, but I just was sort of like no feelings uh until uh the podcast and now i have such a renewed appreciation i'm like a stan now i'm like watching girls five ever like tweeting about oh my god i love (laughs) fully involved amazing Uh, favorite way to travel when it's safe um i don't have one i guess boat very yeah oh, i like had boat i don't know if we had a lot think of we have but like airplanes scare the shit out of me and so do cars <laughs> yeah i train i feel like train's a popular answer we get yeah yeah um and honestly i like taking buses but that's just me uh mm. <laughs> they are cheap they are fine they are more comfortable than a plane nine times out of ten okay uh what is this your lightning question is not mine uh what is your favorite <laughs> quote uh in this moment the first thing that came to mind was we can do hard things love it and finally i can't imagine how this is gonna go but dubs yes bagels or donuts this is tough obviously it's bagels (laughs) (laughs) like hands down oh yeah it's just god bagels are so good unbelievably good yeah um next time i see you i have to bring you bagels from my neighborhood because there's a really good bagel spot on my corner mm. um, and i can't believe i haven't brought you one before because i guess yeah. i'm just nervous everyone says their bagel spot is great and i finally like proved i only had people i was like are these bagels as good as i think they are everyone is like yes they absolutely are well so, so I, I have okay so i just interrupted you i'm sorry no go ahead i my favorite bagel spot is on my corner <gasps> and so i've and i also i've like brought people and i'm like so I feel like we should do a swap. Oh my god, I love that. I love a bit. Ba- oh, we should have a rooftop bagel swap. Everybody bring bagels from their corner bagel shop. <laughs> yes, I'm so down for that. <laughs> Are we gonna cut them in little pieces? You could try a bunch. Yeah, but what uh, kind of cream cheese? I guess it depends on the bagel. It does depend on the bagel, but also um, they're all good. There's a thing. <laughs> they're I all good cream cheeses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah oh dubs i could do this forever um Mm. this has been incredible to get to know you somehow even better to get to like hear you um when you're when you're not um responding or like working off someone else's to be able to drive the conversation and be able to share whatever you would like uh so thank you so much for for doing that is there anything else we didn't chat about that you wanted to talk about a little bit or anything you want to plug um well thank thank you for this opportunity and for the idea to interview me um what a treat um i want to plug a few things thanks for asking the first one is a book called queendom (laughs) that you edited and i wrote an essay in and alan cumming wrote the foreword and you can buy it on amazon and we'll i'll put the link the link is in my bio um i'm just so honored to be part of that project and i want everyone to 
partake in it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is, thank you for coming out. It's coming back live. Um, Sunday, June 27th at 6 p.m. at the Magnet Theater in Midtown in New York City. Um, tickets are not available yet, but stay tuned and I'll post when there are tickets available. Um, my hunch is that they're going to go quick because it's half capacity um, and people have already been chomping at the bits about this. So keep, keep your eyes, uh, keep your eyes peeled. Um, what else are on a plug? Obviously this podcast, right? Like listen to this podcast, share it, review it, subscribe, tell your friends, um, and your family and your community members. Um, I don't think there's anything else to plug. I mean, I guess the Jewish life, um, the documentary when that comes out. I mean, this is the last you're going to hear from me, but I just, I actually really quick as my voice is drop, I always have loved hearing myself talk, but as my voice is dropping because of tea, we didn't even talk about hormones at all, but like, uh, tea, I, now that my voice is deeper, I like love listening to myself talk. So I could just give me the microphone all day. <laughs> You're, it sounds amazing. And like, that's you. like, I get to listen to so many, you know, cause I have like all the recordings. And so like, I'm, and especially when I'm like working on stuff and that's where we're always like, we've recorded the intro. Like, let's get it like the update. Like, and sometimes when I go back to an old episode, it's like, it's, it's, uh, it can be jarring, mm-hmm. uh, but I never know, but I never thought it sounded bad before. I just, but now it's like, wow, this sounds that it's a good it's a good like radio <laughs> I, I like it thank you i like it too oh <laughs> <laughs> job this is such a treat thank you so much for for being you and doing all the incredible work you do i hope you realize even if i'm sure it's hard to receive sometimes like just what an impact you have and how important you are to so many people so thank you for being you thank you bobby i really appreciate it Thank you for coming out. Thank you for coming out. Hey, everyone. It's your host, Dubs Weinblatt. Thank you so much for listening with an open heart and an open mind. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so so you don't miss an episode. And don't forget to rate and review us. It really helps. And we want to hear from you. We want to know your coming out story. Head on over to Thank You For Coming Out's Instagram page, at Thank You For Coming Out, and click the link in our bio. There's a form there where you can submit your coming out story, either anonymously or with your name. And you can have the chance to hear your story read out on the Thank You For Coming Out podcast. We're so happy that you're part of our community, and we want you to know that your story matters. Thank you for coming out.